This is thought for your thoughts. I'm your Pawnian host. Um, true fact, Katie and I just sit here and, and make voices back and forth before we actually start recording. Welcome to No Thanks, We're Booked. I'm Molly. And I'm Katie. And this is a podcast where we look at life through a bookish lens. Um, All right, let's Katie, talk about what, what, what are you reading? <laughs> um, okay, so... We're so giggly tonight. I know, I know. Punch, we're punchy. We're it's probably punchy. this this vodka. I don't know if you can hear this through the mic, ooh, but my... Clinking. Um, I am not drinking vodka. vodka soda. Can you hear my... Ooh, oh, I just spilled water all over myself. <laughs> and Katie Chaos strikes again. <laughs> I'm reading a classic book right now. A book by Elizabeth Gaskell, Wives and Daughters, is the name of the book. It was her last book. She didn't even finish it. Funny that I've now read two books in a row by authors who died before they ended them. This one, I think, ends pretty abruptly. That's interesting. And she, so Elizabeth Gaskell was a contemporary of Charlotte Bronte. She was Mm. actually Charlotte Bronte's best friend. Probably most everyone has heard of Charlotte Bronte, but Charlotte was most famous for Jane Eyre. Have you ever read Jane Eyre? No, Katie. Oh, Molly, I we have need got to do to an entire you. episode on how I have never read all of your beloved classics. Yeah. I've never read Jane Austen either. Have you even read Anne of Green Gables? No, Molly. that I actually feel really terrible about that because that's like your favorite. No, I series will. of all time. Before this podcast comes to an end, which will hopefully be never. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a readathon. If you make it into a readathon, I'll do it. Okay. Yeah, and this is never ending. We're going to live and die in this closet. At least I am. <laughs> You're not here, so that'd be weird. <laughs> but anyway, Wives and Daughters by Elizabeth Gaskell. Absolutely loving it. It's so easy to read, Molly. I mean, I don't know what it... We can talk about this another time. I don't know what it is about classics that makes you yeah. worried about it. But but she's very yeah. readable. It's not a hard... Yeah. It's also very character-driven, so I could understand why it may not be a book for someone who likes a heavy plot. Right, but you know I love those character-driven novels. and this is great. It's a great one. I'm loving it so much. I'm a little worried because I know that it ends kind of abruptly that I'm going to be kind of disappointed. But I hear from people who've read the book and love the book that you do know the direction that it's going. So I'm going to be reading it over the course of this whole month. So yeah. you'll probably How many hear pages about it again. is it? It's long. This one, not all of her books are this long. This one is like 700 pages probably. It's really long. Oh man. See, this goes back to my fear of big books. That's what it is. It's not so much the classics. And I think we talked about this in a live show um about how you basically decided this year that you weren't going to let big books get in the way of your yeah, of your TBR. Yeah. I never used to be You're just going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I need to take a page from your book (laughs) well here's the thing too molly is that i'm only reading about i'm we so i'm reading it with a group of other women and we're only reading two chapters a night so it's basically 20 25 pages a night which is really reasonable yeah that's not bad yeah so i'll get through the whole book but it is keeping me kind of from reading other things because those 20 pages take me right a long time because it is a classic so it, it i mean while the language isn't difficult it just is more dense yeah, you have to engage more. 
Yeah, I can't, you can't just kind of skim. It's not like reading Leanne Moriarty or something that's Mm -hmm. like a really light women's fiction novel where you can kind of half pay attention and still understand everything. You you do have to engage. All right, what are you reading? Um, I'm reading the same thing I was reading in episode one because we pre-recorded those episodes. (laughs) And I've read maybe 10 pages since recording that episode. Um, But... I, so I'm reading Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman and The Wonder by Emma Donahue. And actually, I realized that when we were or when we were talking last, I said that I was listening to The Wonder on audio. I meant that I was listening to Eleanor Oliphant on audio, oh. which has been so amazing. The accents, it's so it's so great. Yeah, it I takes love place it. in ireland or scotland yeah ireland i don't know i think ireland i think i, think I don't know but ireland. now i'm getting confused with the wonder because the wonder takes place the wonder also takes place in ireland yes yeah that's so, also interesting um, a little overlap yeah, and there. both we were talking about how both books are so different in the last episode but they're very similar pacing yeah i'm i'm waiting for something else to happen for both of the books like it's they're both intriguing and I like the characters a lot and I'm turning pages or like I keep listening to Eleanor all the time too yeah but I'm ready for something else to happen and I don't I don't really want to say anything to give away I mean it's not spoilery to talk about the plot but I feel like they're both books that they hinge on a little bit of mystery almost right like you don't exactly I know with the wonder there's a little girl who claims to have not eaten for like right, four right. months. Right. Yeah. And so the main character, Lib, go. Oh, hello, Peaches. <laughs> That's Katie's That's adorable cat. cat, if you can hear that. <laughs> she decided to join the podcast. Okay, Peaches. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if anyone could hear that meow or that trill. Oh, we could hear it. It was adorable. <laughs> I'm wearing a, a shirt right now that says keep calm and love cats. So it's very appropriate. She knew it and she wanted to come say hi to you. But anyway, Lib is going, Lib has been requested to go visit and stay with this little girl to figure out if what she right. claims She's is true or not. And so there is, yes. a, there's a bit of mystery that kind of keeps you turning the pages to kind of figure mm-hmm. out what, what's really going on. I can't yeah. wait for you to finish so, it because I want to talk with you about it. It's it's a really, for me, what I loved about it was how, I mean, I found it very thought-provoking. And I really loved, when I closed the last page of the book, I had this real kind of warm feeling inside of me. And I mm-hmm. really love it when I find a book that, that does that. And I really, really yeah. want to talk with you about it. I want to yeah. talk with you about Eleanor Oliphant, too. Which I think I'm ready for the relationships to develop a little bit more in The Wonder. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm waiting for Lib and the little girl to have mm. some kind of turning point. What's the little girl's name? Anna. I don't really want to say more than that, yeah, but I'm yeah. I'm just waiting to for something. I'm waiting for something. It'll happen. But it's good, and it's turning. It's why I'm turning the pages. Yeah, so yeah. We mentioned in our last episode that we... Uh, we'll be answering questions from our patrons and since we are so new we're hashtag newbies um, we've decided to open up the questions through Instagram we have a lot of amazing questions from people on Instagram so if you'd like to ask us a question in the future or help support us in any way with the podcast hop on over to our patreon 
and that's patreon.com slash no thanks we're booked um, and we'll include that link in the show notes as well if we can figure out how to do show notes I'm pretty sure we can do it <laughs> we'll figure it out right we just haven't crossed that bridge yet so it'll it'll happen yes, once once this will. once this podcast hits the interwebs we'll have so figured weird. it out I know yep. it's it's coming it's coming and by the time you hear this it'll have happened Okay, so today, because this episode is focusing on the Enneagram, we actually got a couple questions from people about the Enneagram, and our friend Hannah, whose Instagram account is BookNerdNative, she's one of my faves, she asked how the Enneagram has helped our friendship and understanding one another. Yeah, such a good question. It is a great question, but we both, in sort of prepping a little bit for this episode, we're not exactly sure that it's necessarily helped our friendship in in terms of you know getting us through a, a friendship rough patch, which which we've we've never had. So <laughs> we've never had because Katie's a nine and she's conflict avoided. That's right. So will she's we, a peacemaker. <laughs> will we ever have conflict? I mean, it might happen since we're doing a podcast together, but hopefully yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, and I'm conflict avoidant too, for the record. If anyone thought I was like aggressive, you know, looking to pick fights. You don't know me very that's, well. That's how you come across all the time, Molly. Oh, I'm sure. You I'm are sure. you are very combative. <laughs> I think you may have mistyped yourself. I think you're really an yeah. eight. <laughs> oh, man. We're getting ahead of ourselves we are. now. We're, totally We're getting just getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> but, okay. So, I do think that it's it has helped us understand one another, even in terms of just kind of developing and creating this podcast. I mean, I will yeah. say that... The Enneagram, well, Molly and I are kind of always, always mentioning the Enneagram to one another, mostly jokingly and offhand because, yeah. well, we'll talk about that later too. It's not really meant to put you in a box. So, you know, we, right. when we joke, but we do, we do talk about it a lot and, you know, Molly jokes about being a four wing five and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and needing to, needing to research everything. I mean, that, that was something yeah. that came out a lot when we were putting the podcast together just needing to yep. make sure that we did everything right and researching yeah. researching sure everything looked good and was high quality but you were concerned about those things too I was maybe yeah. not concerned but like you were interested in those things too yes yeah so I guess maybe my nine has come out in that I want things to go smoothly and I'll do everything in my power to, to accommodate. Not that I, yeah. I feel like I have expressed <laughs> my desires, but every, you know, I'm, I'm very careful about how I express my, express my yeah. opinions. Cause I don't want to ruffle feathers. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of that same way too. You are. But at the same time, if there's something that I feel like we need to do or we want something to look a certain way, I'm very like, passionate about that Mm -hmm. and I feel I I don't know in terms of our relationship I just think it's been really sweet to know more about each other and to be able to recognize parts of our personalities and just feel known and I mean we joked about this too that like of course Katie knowing that I'm a four and feeling known by her in that way that's I mean, that's obviously very important to me as a four, <laughs> but it's just been, I think it's just a sweet thing. It's just another layer of knowing Yeah, my friend, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think that we like to joke about, about it a lot. Like Molly will joke about wanting to feel known and I joke about wanting to be a hobbit. 
Yeah. Or, We're very self-deprecating in that way. <laughs> like, I'm a hobbit, and I just want to sit on a couch and eat all the comfy foods and <laughs> toss If no one knows me. what the Enneagram is, they're going to be like, what does this all mean? Maybe we should... <laughs> Maybe we should get into the the yes. intro yeah. of the Enneagram. Maybe we should have, like, switched the question format, like, done the patron questions after. But no We'll matter. get into all this in a moment. All right, everyone. So now that we've probably confused you with... <laughs> Answering in answering that question about how the Enneagram has has helped us know each other better, maybe we should talk about what the Enneagram is in case any of our listeners <laughs> don't know. And some of you may not because I feel like while it's gaining in popularity, it still is relatively unknown in in places and certain populations of people. So I don't know. There might be people there might be listeners out there who don't know what the Enneagram yeah. is. Yeah. And we should, before we start talking about it, make the disclaimer that we are not experts. Absolutely not. We don't really know. (laughs) We don't really know everything about the Enneagram. We understand, like, I still feel like I'm learning about the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is so rich and complex in so many ways that even what we're going to tell you tonight is just going to scratch the surface of, of what it encompasses. I don't know. Do you have things Definitely. to add to that? Um, I think the other. Whoa! What's going on? Oh, peaches, peaches. Peaches keeps. Peaches is going she crazy. She really has some stuff to say. I think she wants to <laughs> tell us a little bit about the Enneagram tonight. She's a four. She just wants attention. See, this is what I, this is what we do. We joke about it. Um, so the other disclaimer that I think we should make is that I think the Enneagram can be abused a lot in the sense that. People think it's sometimes think it's a way to put other people in boxes, and the Enneagram is really only meant to be used as a tool. I don't know if you want to talk, Katie, about the number dominant yeah. kind of distinction, but that's always helpful. Yes. So there's a man named Chris Hewerts who wrote a book called The Sacred Enneagram, and I heard him on, which I'll mention this a little bit later probably, but I heard him on Sleeping at Last's podcast because he talks about each number um, on there, and I'll explain why later. But he wrote a book called The Sacred Enneagram, and when he talks about each number, he talks about a person as, like Molly would be, a four-dominant person. So he would never say... Or he would never encourage anyone to say, I'm a four. He would encourage people to say, I'm four dominant. Or for me, I would say, I'm nine dominant. And it's just a way to remember that we are all multifaceted people. And and we have pieces of every number right. or like parts of, we adapt or adopt, I guess, different parts of every number. Right. Right. I mean, I so think that you could read through all of the numbers and say, I recognize that in myself. Especially the basic fears and the basic desires. Right. They're just very human. <laughs> yeah. But but I think the, the another idea that I've read about the Enneagram is that you do have a dominant number. So there is, right. there is a number that you will recognize as yourself 
more than any other. And sometimes it does take, I know also it takes some people years to figure out their number. Right. And I would encourage anyone listening, if you want to figure out what number you are on the Enneagram, don't necessarily trust the tests that you take. You really need to kind of do a deeper dive and and do some more reading to figure it out. Sometimes the tests are correct and sometimes they're not because we're not always honest with ourselves when we answer questions. Mm. So Mm -hmm. maybe we should mention too, this is not like Myers-Briggs, Myers-Briggs or Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs. However, and I guess one distinction to like why it's not like Myers-Briggs. We, the Enneagram focuses a lot on health and, or like where we are in our healthy state and where we are in an unhealthy state. So there's this fluidity to it too that, um, some people really love and some people really don't love. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I, for a long time, I, I loved the Myers-Briggs type indicator, but it really, once I got into the Enneagram, I understood why people end up kind of gravitating more towards the Enneagram, Enneagram eventually. Myers-Briggs tends to focus a lot on our positive characteristics and Myers-Briggs tends to reveal our sort of sinfulness almost or like what... Or Enneagram. Oh, did I say Myers-Briggs again? The Enneagram tends to reveal our our weaknesses, our areas that need growth. And that's, I think, why I love the Enneagram because, because it really is meant to be a tool to help you grow. Yeah. Well said. Okay, so let's let's talk about the triads. So there are three triads or centers, the instinctive triad, the feeling triad, and the thinking no, triad. No, so there's the, yeah. Well, first we should say there are nine numbers on the Enneagram. Oh, okay, yeah. And then they're split into three triads, the gut, the heart, and the head. Yeah. And it's also a little confusing because numbers eight, nine, and one are the gut. Numbers two, three, four are the heart. And numbers five, six, and seven are the head. Yeah. You don't think it would be like that. No, you don't. You'd think it would start at one, but it doesn't. It starts at eight. Yeah. So each type has a particular way of coping with a dominant emotion that's associated with that triad. Would you say that that's how you think of it? I think that's the best way to explain it. Yeah. So for the, the gut triad which are eights, nines, and ones, the dominant emotion for each number, each of those numbers, um, the dominant emotion acts out of anger. Yes. And I think it's important to say that that doesn't necessarily mean that, because I'm a nine, and I always, when I heard that for the first time, that I was in the gut triad and it was like the anger triad. So it's either, you can either call it the gut triad or the anger triad. I was like, what? I'm never angry. I don't know what they're talking about I think that they must be mistaken but then what it has to do with it's not that you're an angry person the reason that you're in the gut triad is it's how you relate to that emotion so how nines relate to that emotion and and I mean we haven't talked about numbers yet but nines repress anger and that's why we're in the anger triad right yeah that's that's a good distinction I feel like that would be a misconception the heart triad, the dominant emotion that each number acts out of is shame. So <laughs> that's a fun one. Well, so and is then, anger. I mean, I don't think any of I them know, really they're all. Great. I know, you're right. And that's exactly what you just said earlier about, um, about it helping, it being a tool to help us grow. It's not always pleasant to think about, but it is true. And, yes, um, yeah. and it's good to wrestle with. So... And then the um, thinking, or what is it? The 
the head the triad. Head, yeah. The dominant emotion is fear. So those are the triads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We want today to just be a brief overview. Yeah. So we're trying to move along quickly. Um, getting to the numbers, number one is the reformer. So these people are, and chime in, Katie, if you if you have any like anything to say about the the reformer, but yeah, um, they're usually rational, idealistic people, um, or or should I say like one dominant? People. I mean, that's how we you, think about it, but we don't need to say it all the time. You guys know that's yeah. what we're trying to say. We don't want to put anyone in a box. Saying. Yeah, um, so ones are usually pretty principled, purposeful, self-controlled. They're often perfectionists. Um, they also have account- a strong moral center, and they're very driven yes. by right and wrong. And they see, right. they kind of see the world, and this is a generaliza- generalization, but they can see the world kind of in black and white. Um, yeah. I have a friend who's a one who said something like, when she's in a meeting and people are in you know they're here they're throwing around ideas and she sits there and she's like this would all go well if people just listened to what I had to say and did what I had to say like <laughs> followed my directions because I know what's best <laughs> it's funny that you say that because a counselor friend of mine told me that ones are often teachers and pastors and a, a lot of that is that strong sense of right and wrong and and um being an advocate for something you know but I often I I often like to think of ones as like they're kind of grumbling about (laughs) I'm like it would be hard to be a one if I mean you're used to order and you're used to you know somebody told me that ones are like the kind of people who um fold their socks in their sock drawer (laughs) yes I love that visual yes they're strong advocates for people so whatever cause they kind of champion they they work really hard because they want to see they want to see the best in the world come to fruition so that's that's what they work towards yeah and at their best they're wise they're realistic they're morally heroic like katie said um at their worst ones can be abrasive and self-righteous um they can fixate on imperfections yes. small imperfections yeah and and they're they can basic, micromanage as well in right when they're unhealthy. right their basic fear is being corrupt or defective in some way which i feel like speaks to their morally heroic yes. characteristics too yeah. wanting yep. to to be an advocate for people and yeah and so their basic desire is to be good and to have integrity and balance yeah um, so I don't know, I, I don't think we mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but we were, we wanted to do this Enneagram introduction with a little bit of a literary spin. So we are going to, after we talk about each number briefly, um, we're going to mention some literary or I guess fictional characters, um, who could be one dominant, two dominant, whatever, um, so Katie, do you have a character in mind? Oh my gosh. I think the best character that personifies a one is Hermione Granger. That's what I had. Yes, I know. I know it because she is She's such a classic one. She's such a classic one. I mean, think of everything that we just said. A champion. Yeah. She like uh, an advocate and a champion. Think of her I know. advocate for change. Yes. Think of her organized. Think of her crusade 
for the house elves. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I think that's of. exactly what I thought yep. of. And then her perfectionism, too. Like, always wanting to do her very, very best work. Yep. And, and wanting everyone else to, sometimes to their detriment. Because yeah. she won't always let them do it on their own and figure it out it's on their so own. Like, she wants true. to, she wants everyone to follow her lead in some ways yeah yeah I feel like at first I was thinking oh she would be in the head triad because she's so smart you know brainy and yeah but at the same time so much of her actions stem from anger or like some kind of self-righteous some kind of yeah she's mad about something and she just goes off on it yeah but But, also um, think about the fact like if she was really in the head triad that might be why she ended up in Gryffindor over Ravenclaw yeah. Because she's very, very intelligent, but that's not where she ended up. She ended up in Ravenclaw because she's a champion for yeah. the underdog, for the... for the. I love it. Yeah. Hermione. Yeah. She is uh, a one. She's my hero. sure. Yep. Okay, so moving right along to the number two. The number two is the helper, and they are... Okay, I'm just going to say it. Almost every mom I've ever met is a two. <laughs> A lot of so, women going off of yes. that mistype themselves as a two as because twos. culturally women fill mm. that mm-hmm. helper role. I know I've only ever met two men who were twos and I was so excited to meet them or I mean, to I find out that, that they there were twos. There are probably just as many t- men twos yes. as women twos. But when women are looking and trying to figure out what they are, I think they, they go to two automatically because that's the role that yeah. they fill. So twos so are often. the helper. They're empathetic. They're sincere, warm-hearted. They're usually very generous, and they can be people pleasers. So um, they're self-sacrificing, which is why I'm convinced if so you, many of them are moms. Yes, it's true. Well, and if you are at a dinner party, twos are the ones who get up from the table, clear the dishes, yes. go into the kitchen, and start yep. washing everything. Like they're the ones that are yeah. doing everything. So good to, to like. To help to make things, to make life easier for everyone else. And they often have a hard time acknowledging their own needs because they're busy helping other people. But the downfall of that is that they expect other people to, to know what they need. Right. And they, so, they need to be needed. Yes. Yes. So at their best, they're unselfish and altruistic and they love people really well. And then at their worst, they can be... I guess, resentful um, and possessive. And then their basic fear is being unwanted or unworthy of love. By the way, I'm, I'm gathering all of these um, points from the Enneagram Institute. So we'll link that in the show notes so you can learn more. If you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm a two, I'm a two, definitely check out the links in the show notes. But so yeah, their basic desire is to feel loved. So, Katie, I could not come up with a literary character for the two. Oh, I have two. One of them okay, is Harry Potter one. again. <laughs> really? And one of them is not. Yes. Katie, I thought Harry Potter would be a nine. No, not Harry Potter. A character from Harry Potter. Oh, I was like, okay. <laughs> no, Continue. Mrs. Weasley. Oh, yeah, duh. Molly Weasley. Molly Weasley what a is two. a two. She is She's constantly such a sacrificing two. for her family. She's so protective. So and protective. just like Which is always not serving. always a two, but just constantly serving. Thinks of her family Although first. it is kind of two-like because don't twos can also quickly take on an aggressive 
um i read that somewhere that twos yeah, can be aggressive yeah. another thing so in the road back to you one of the points for a two that is uh stated is that they want people to think that they love everyone even though they don't so think mm. about how she treats um oh, the french student why can't i think of her name oh yeah i know who you're talking about yeah the oh, she's in the oh she's yeah in the goblet of fire she marries yeah. her she marries one of the weasley boys right anyway yep. you know what i'm saying like she doesn't love her but i'm sure she wants everyone to think that she does yeah okay classic. i have another classic two. two i have another I, two i want to know if this is can i guess it sure okay i didn't read this this book but i'm thinking i i'm thinking emma by jane austen would she be a oh. two Yes, but probably not a very healthy two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never read Emma by Jane Austen, but everything that I've heard about her character, she seems like she would be a oh, two. Oh, yeah. Like, wants to, like the, her matchmaker, she, oh, she totally wants to be needed. She's not a healthy two. You know who else yeah. is a two who's not a healthy two? This isn't a book character, but um, Michael. Michael Scott. Michael Scott. From The Office. Is a two oh, and not a healthy two. He two. is a two. Yeah. Um, oh, I can totally see that. Oh, yeah. He's such a two. But then the other character I was thinking of, who I think might be the healthiest two in the world, is um, Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Good. That was good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I couldn't come up with a single one. And I felt like I couldn't say Emma because I didn't read that book. That's amazing yeah. that you haven't read the book, but you pr- you must know the story well enough to be like... I know the be- well. You I know, know it's based off of uh, Clueless. Clueless. Clueless is based <laughs> off of Emma. Yeah, Emma is based off of Clueless. Yes, yes. People are gonna stop listening to this podcast after that. No, oh. they're not. You know what? I'm gonna make you read Jane Austen at some I know, point. It's gonna happen. I'll it read, will happen. I'll read an. I'll read a Jane Austen book with you. We'll do it, and then we'll talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, that I sounds like, like a great idea. Okay, three. So yeah, the Achiever. Um, threes are self-assured charming very much so image focused all of the heart triad numbers are image focused they're often ceos and entrepreneurs mm-hmm. so they do focus a lot on success image. yes they want to be they're ambitious they're highly they're, they they're um they're high achievers yes and they're competitive they're diplomatic they're poised um so at their best they're authentic and self-accepting and at their worst they can be overly concerned with what people think of them and they can struggle with workaholism a lot their basic fear is being worthless and their basic desire is to feel valuable and worthwhile do you have any literary characters for three oh i do do you did you ever read um my not so perfect life by sophie kinsella no it's one of those like I have read I The Undomestic Goddess by her and loved it. It was hilarious. Yeah, she's a f- she's funny. Her books are very lighthearted. Oh, so lighthearted. Uh, well, from what I hear, this is the only one I've read by her. Um, but so the main character, Katie Brenner, she's uh, basically the whole story is about her trying to impress people and impress her mm. boss and, and move up. And she's very much so like trying to protect this image of that her life is perfect even though it's like falling apart and she's just the first thing that I first person that I came to mind or that came to mind when I thought of a three oh my gosh that's Um, that is perfect I couldn't think of I couldn't think of anyone 
I know. I'm well, not very familiar with threes. I'm not. I can think of, um, actually, I can think of TV characters like Don Draper from Mad Men is a, a really unhealthy three. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. The next number is the four. Oh, this is your number. So you I'm about take... to feel so exposed as a four, <laughs> but also so known. It's it's the it's the paradox of the same coin. The paradox of being a four. <laughs> so fours are self-aware and sensitive. They're usually honest and creative, personal, moody, self-conscious, um, and they are often artists and writers or designers so creative people at their best they're highly creative they're inspired um they can kind of transform their own experience and then at their worst they are despairing and (laughs) self-destructive this is really fun katie (laughs) just kidding you know what i like to say about threes threes or fours oh fours 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 are fours are sitting in a dark room feeling all their feelings that's yep feeling all the feels absolutely right so our basic fear is not having an identity or a personal significance we feel like identity is is big for fours Mm. wanting Um, to know wanting to know yourself well yeah and also belonging there's a sense of belonging that's important which i think is really interesting because fours also kind of want to stand out from the crowd right yes yeah, yeah. It's belonging, but also being special. <laughs> this is why fours are so angsty. It's like, how can I reconcile yeah. my need to belong and right. also my need to be different? <laughs> yes, it's like the tortured artist thing, you know? Like, the, you can't ever be happy. Yeah. It's the melancholy yeah. that drives us. But it's, but it's like a bittersweet melancholy. Like, I wouldn't say not all fours yeah. struggle. I mean, some fours, I think... D- dip into depression but not all fours yes, do. absolutely my friend drew wrote a, an art a blog post about being a four and he and i felt like he nailed it on the head it was like yeah he did it's like listening to a sad song kind of yes and it's like that appreciating feeling, the beauty of in the world around us and and appreciating the beauty of really, pain too like yes i don't know it's that it's that kind of bittersweet feeling it's one of the reasons yeah. why the last episode, Katie, we talked about how I don't like small talk. It's because I'm I'm much more comfortable talking to people about really morbid things like <laughs> death. I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's go there. Come on. This is beautiful. So yeah, basic, basic desire or basic fear is not having an identity. Basic desire is having an identity or finding ourselves, creating meaning, creating beauty. So, did you come up with any oh, yes. characters for the four? Oh, I want to yes, hear I did. them. Anne of Green Gables, Anne Shirley. Okay, is a I four. need to read this. Gosh darn it. She is such a four. And you know what? When I was thinking about it, because I was thinking today, because I knew I wanted to, I knew I wanted to type Anne, since she's one of my favorite literary characters of all time. <laughs> and I sat there for a minute. and I was like, well, she. I wanted her to be a nine. I wanted her to be a nine so bad. And I was like, she <laughs> is not a nine. She's yeah. way too dramatic to be a nine. She's a four. <laughs> yep. She's over there She's... feeling all her feelings and being dramatic about everything. <laughs> oh, man. I welcome her gladly. <laughs> but also, I want to be alone. <laughs> she is. She's She's my four. But you know what? I, I also it. love that she's a four. And, and I think that maybe, it's, maybe yeah. it's one of the reasons that fours are so dear to my heart. Fours and nines. Something special about fours and nines. There's something special about fours and nines. 
So in, I in came up together. with... I mean, together. Yes. Together. Yeah. yeah. We should do an episode one, one time, one day about um, relationships with the Enneagram and yeah. like how the different numbers relate yes. to each other. But yes. anyway, so for the four number, I picked Liesl from The Book Thief. Oh. Something about Liesl. I don't know what it is. I think it's just her... I don't, I don't know, like, sense of, or, like, wanting to find an identity. I don't know. I feel her character on a, on a deep level mm. as a four. Yeah. And then also um, Sam from The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Which I haven't like read that one. Classic four. I'm just going back to Anne. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Because the other four. thing about, I mean, she is, I feel like when you, when you finally read Anne of Green Gables, you're going to recognize so much fourness in her. Because she also is, um, she's very consumed by the beauty around her in in the pain and the the pain and the joy. Like she wants to consume all of the beauty. Um, oh, I gotta read this. You have. Got I gotta to read, read it. it. You have There's got so many to books read to read. I know, but put this at the top of your list. Okay. <sighs> <laughs> I, I mean, need to do it. <laughs> No, I want to. Every time you push a book on me, it ends up being a favorite of mine. So you, you will cough, love cough, Anne. peace like a river. I cough, know. cough. I'm that is the book that I'm I push into everyone's hands. Okay, we are we've got to keep keep moving. Along Let's here. go. Let's talk about so, the fives. Yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot on the fives, even though my husband is a five. <laughs> and you're a four wing five. So I am a four wing five. So I mean, fives are alert and insightful and curious. They're cerebral. Researchers. Yes. Yeah, we're officially in the head triad yeah, now. Yeah. So I like to I like to use this story about Aaron, my husband, is a five and he when we were looking for um new vacuum cleaners or a new vacuum cleaner, he read a catalog pretty much like front to cover. Front front to cover? Is that how you say cover that? Cover to cover? That the cover to cover, cover to cover. I was like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> he he read a catalog about vacuum cleaners, and that's how because research was so important to him. Mm. He wanted to get the very best one. They're often indecisive for that reason. So their basic fear is being useless, okay, and helpless or incapable, which makes a lot of sense because my husband. I've I've also heard that fives in the workplace are the troubleshooters. Mm. So, and my husband is very much so the kind of guy who he he likes to help and get and like fix problems yeah <laughs> which works out really well for me it does it's worked out well for us in this podcast I know in the creation of this podcast already except when he's out of town or something and I have to resort to like hitting technology because I don't <laughs> know how to fix the tv <laughs> that's how Molly and I both <laughs> that's how we both deal with technology that's gone haywire is just it's like hitting throwing yelling I mean I have a five wing I should be good at that anyway I actually don't know much about five so I'm I'm not very helpful with this one well I know that they also they have um they can have problems with isolation and they're pretty private I think like sixes they're pretty private okay do you have a literary character for fives I do, and I'm really excited to Let's tell you. Let's hear it. I'm, I'm excited to hear, to hear it. I want to know your thoughts. I think Eleanor Oliphant is a five. Oh, yeah. She's totally oh, a she's five, right? she's such a five. She has to 
and w- one of the things about so Aaron, my husband, is a is a five with a four wing, and I know we we aren't really going to get into the wings on this episode, but we will eventually so stick with us. <laughs> but um, and you can read all about it. But he's a five with a four. I'm a four with a five wing. So we share a lot of a lot of things, but. Um, one of our differences is that as a four, I seek, I have to understand myself before I can understand the world around me. Mm. Fives, fives seek to understand the world around them before they can understand themselves. Yeah. And they probably don't dwell quite as much in their emotions. Right. And Eleanor Oliphant is all about the research and observation and not really at least at this point in the book that I'm at, she's not super, or she's self-aware in some ways, but not emotionally Yeah, I was just going to say that. She's not emotionally self-aware. And not, and not particularly fives, socially aware either. Right, right. And not that fi- fives are socially and emotionally unaware. I think it's, it's, that's an amplified. I do think that fives tend to feel uncomfortable or awkward in social settings or interpersonally not always but it does that is kind of a yeah a character trait of fives yeah yeah so that's my I was so excited to that's a great one one. there's a couple others um uh Sherlock Holmes is what I thought of oh yes that's a good one. Aaron yeah. will be excited that that's his yes, character they for make his number. Great detectives doing all their deducing. <laughs> so good. <laughs> all right, let's talk about sixes. So my husband is a six. I don't have a whole lot on sixes. All I know is sixes tend to be my favorite kind of people. I love sixes dearly. I think it's because, so sixes are cautious and um, Very because wary. they operate out of fear a lot of the time. Yes. I feel very, um, I, I get that even though I'm a four, there's a lot about the sixes that I, that resonates with me. Yeah. They're distrustful. Um, so I know they are always, always coming up with every possible scenario, usually imagining the worst possible scenario. And so preparing for the worst, they're also known as the loyalists. So they're very loyal people yeah. once they kind of attach themselves. They're distrustful, but once they trust you, they're very loyal to you. Mm-hmm. And sixes are the only number that kind of have a subcategory. So there's, which we we don't really have to get into, but yeah, there's the counterphobic yeah. and the phobic six. So sixes position themselves in relation to authority, which is, and so it gets a little complicated because sixes are counterphobic or phobic, and often they oscillate between the two, which means they either um, accept and follow authority or they rebel against authority. They're usually one or the other at a given time, if that yep. makes if that makes any sense. Yeah. So at their worst, they're probably like panicky, a little volatile. At their best, though... I mean, like you said, they're loyal. They're defenders. I know that the Enneagram, I know we're not going to get into the wings, but the six with a five wing is called the the defender, and the six with the seven wing is called the buddy. And huh. I like both of those a lot because it just shows you, it's like totally what a loyalist would be. You yeah, know? yeah. Okay, so now I'm reading something that says sixes are the troubleshooters, so maybe the fives aren't the troubleshooters? In my mind, fives and sixes are so similar. In some ways, I think they are. I mean, I think that you could... So 
sixes would be probably troubleshooter. Like think of it as like street smart and book smart. Like yes. fives would be troubleshooters in the book smart arena. Sixes would be troubleshooters in the in the social arena, in the oh, street smart arena. This is so funny thinking about both of our husbands. I know because Molly's say. husband is a five and my husband is a six. And yeah, Steve oh, is the kind funny. of person who's like preparing for the zombie apocalypse and honestly if the zombie apocalypse happened there's nobody i'd trust more in the world to get me through that than steve so but you're all the way over in wisconsin how am i gonna get to you if the zombie apocalypse comes after this podcast is over i'll tell you our meeting place (laughs) (laughs) i would die first so well so would i unfortunately steve's always like no you wouldn't and i'm like if i didn't have you you better believe i'd be the first one to die (laughs) they're at their best they're internally stable and self-reliant courageously championing championing themselves and others love that Oh, did we say basic fear and desire? No. So uh, sixes, their basic fear is abandonment without support and guidance. Oh, I was going to say abandonment or like loss. I mean, that's kind of similar. Yeah. And then basic desire is to have security and support. Yeah. I would say that's true. Okay, so do you have a character for sixes? Uh, I, I couldn't really think of one. Could you? I couldn't think of a literary character. I'm sure that I could, if I sat long enough, I could probably come up with one. But I did think of a fictional character. Yeah, let's and hear it because I couldn't think of a, a literary. Yeah. So Chandler from Friends. <laughs> oh, he's totally yes. a six. He is such a six. He's very You're cautious. Right. Probably counterphobic. I don't know the difference, but. <laughs> okay, I've got a little app on my phone, and one of the literary characters that it mentions is Frodo Baggins. Okay. Do you think Frodo? I, I really, see, it's been so long since I've read the books. But I think the reason we're having a hard time coming up with sixes, and one of the reasons why people have a hard time typing themselves as sixes, yeah. because usually it takes them a long time to, to find out their sixes. The reason for that, I've heard is that sixes are pretty steady across the board when they take the test. Yeah. They yeah. are they identify with the other numbers so strongly because mm-hmm. they're so there's like this stability. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But yeah, yeah. So I'm sure for us trying to come up with fictional characters, it's like I bet there are more sixes out there than any other number, but we just they're not coming to mind, I guess. Yeah. All right. Sevens. Sevens, I'm actually also not super familiar with. Darn it, I'm not either. So, well, we know they're the adventurer, right? Or is there, or the enthusiast? The enthusiast. The so name. I can imagine. And actually, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Well, my brother just took the test and tested differently, but I swear he mistested himself. I could. <laughs> I really think he's a seven. Which you're not supposed to type other people, by the way. Which I'm totally <laughs> doing right now. I'm typing my brother. I think he's a seven, which um, I do know that sevens like they're so they're the enthusiasts. They're kind of the life of the party. They and they, yep. they can't see. They have a hard time keeping still. They are always they're constantly moving. And yeah, they they don't make they don't love commitments. Um, they're extroverted. They're optimistic. They avoid spontaneous. Pain. Yeah. They avoid pain by they escaping into pain. fun, pleasure, and imagination. They yes. see life as having limitless possibility possibilities with many options. Um, and so they, they like they, they hate being bored. Also, they hate yeah. being bored. I've also heard that sevens don't 
tend to specialize in one area as much as they they kind of hop around and have talents in multiple areas because they're just interested in so many things and and because they hate boredom I guess but so at their best they're they focus their talents on worthwhile adventure adventurous goals yes and they become appreciative they're joyful because you said they're like the life of the party every seven I know is like you just want to be around that person there's something Mm -hmm attractive about them that you just you just want to be around them yeah but they so but they do avoid pain um and that's actually their basic fear is is being deprived or in in pain healthy sevens they know that joy is a gift Um, unhealthy sevens see themselves as inadequate they feel sorry for themselves yeah Yeah. Yeah. and kind of how fours you said fours tend not all fours but some fours can wrestle with depression a little bit some sevens can wrestle with addictions Mm, yeah that makes Um, sense it also said i also was reading that um unhealthy sevens tend to be reckless risking more than they can stand to lose i actually their basic desire is to be satisfied and content to have all of their needs filled so i've got a great another harry potter one another (gasps) harry potter character can you guess let me Who think in Harry for a Potter second. Is a seven? Yes. Serious Black. Serious Black is a seven. You knew it. <laughs> I knew it. You First knew of all, it. he's like my favorite character. So I live vicariously through sevens. Yeah. I probably feel the least like a seven. Well, I feel the least like an eight, which we're about to get to. Well, I, I do don't. Too. I don't feel like I know too many sevens, but I do love them, and I love Serious Black. And from based on what our description of a seven was, I don't think he was very healthy because he was incredibly reckless. Yeah. yeah. Very a lot reckless. of the characters that I've come up with for all of these numbers are not healthy versions of their, their but you numbers. Know why? But Probably because they're exaggerated. Characters right. are often exaggerated versions of people. And because who wants to read about characters that aren't flawed in any yeah, way? Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. But you know what I've always thought is interesting is that the creators of characters – don't say, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna look at the Enneagram and right. I'm going to come up with these characteristics for this character. Like these, these characters that they develop tend to em- embody these numbers in some way. So yeah. it speaks to um, kind of the truth with a capital T about human nature and, in, yes. and different personalities. So true. That, that tend to have similar characteristics. I just yeah. think that's amazing. Authors are good because, like, good authors get to where they are because they Understood. know how to study the human experience and, yes. and human emotion, and and they get people. Yeah, I mean, that's they're good observers, right? Yeah, yeah. So my number seven was Fermine from The Shadow of the Wind. Oh, I need to reread that book, Molly. <sighs> so good, so good. He was the inspector who was like close with Daniel Daniel yeah that's what I call him but he he was always um just over the top ridiculous like kind of character but also had a a dark side and a dark past that he was always kind of running from so I I picture him as a seven Mm, I can't wait to get to the to the eight I have a really good character for the eight do you I had a hard time thinking the thing is is that 
eights are difficult and a lot of the characters that I come up with are like the evil characters and eights in real life aren't evil people. In fact, eights can be a wonderful force for good in the world. I think you're going to like my character. Okay, good. Because I could only come up with well, guys. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. So the eight is the challenger. They're assertive. I mean. They don't shy away from conflict. In fact, they kind of relish conflict in some ways. They're very... Um, I think of them as kind of bossy people too. Yeah. Or like just straight talkers. Like yeah. they're not going to BS you. Yeah. They're not going to beat around the bush. They're going to tell you. They're going to tell it like they see it. They're decisive. I imagine they probably get pretty far in their careers because they're assertive and they're able to talk about, you know, what they want and they're not easily intimidated or I don't know, but they like to be intimidating. Yeah. I think. One of the things I have read in The Road Back to You is that, you know, they walk into a room and they understand who the most powerful person in the room is or who mm-hmm. has who has the power in the room. They're very aware of power. And the downside of that is that they can That's be very power hungry. You know what's funny about that, Katie? Uh, apparently fours are the same way with emotion. Like fours can sense who is the most I guess, like, emotionally dominant one in the room. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So eights, nines, and ones, like we said before, in the gut triad. And ones, remember, are champions for that. Like, they're very, they have a very strong moral center. Similarly, eights fight very hard for justice. Right. And the weak. And the weak, yeah. They have a voice for people who don't have voices. They are the voice for people they're the voice for the voiceless. And yeah. at their best, they are self-mastering and they use their strength to improve others' lives. Like you said, give them a voice and they become very her- heroic in that sense and inspiring. And their basic fear is of being harmed or controlled by others. So the flip side of power. Yeah, and then their, yeah. their basic desire is to pre- protect themselves and to be in control of their own lives and destinies. So I feel so it's interesting. Um, eights and nines are right next to each other, and I feel like they could not be more different from yes. one another. I've Isn't always struggled with that. I've always struggled yeah. with it. Well, I I've known so many different eights in my life, and they're all so different. It's and that's true. the thing about the enneagram. It's like yeah. you could you could be the same exact number and the same wing as someone else, and it and still be very different from yeah. that person. Well, I mean, it's really talking about motivations in our life. And so we can we can have kind of the same starting motivation, but how we Yeah. How we present ourselves to the world can be very different. Yeah. And the experiences that we've had can yeah. shape yeah. how we live out of that place of Yeah, like, exactly. In their unhealthy place, I guess. Or at their worst, they can be ruthless, hard Hearted, revengeful um, in the road back to you it says unhealthy eights destroy as much as they create hmm. all right i want to hear your eight your character okay i have madeline from big little lies oh yeah she's totally an eight right yeah. she speaks up for the the voiceless yes. um and she's a straight talker like she's not afraid of confrontation and she's not a villainous eight but she's also flawed because she's well. A, a lot of the, I mean, the eights that I know in my life aren't villainous. I think it's an right. unfortunate. It's sort of like how in Harry Potter, all of the Slytherins are depicted as evil, but people that would get put in the house of Slytherin aren't evil. 
Right. It's just, and I feel the same way about eights, like in literature yeah. and in media, often what you get are sort of the worst sides of the eight magnified. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's one of our close bookish friends is an eight, Jess McGlynn. Hey, Jess. If you're, if you're listening, listening, Jess, <laughs> we love you and your eight, eight self. <laughs> that's the only character I came up with for an eight, but I was proud of that one. I know. I so like that now. One. We've got to move on to the nine, the which is Katie's number. That's me. Tell us all about the nines, Katie. Well, nines are basically hobbits. <laughs> um, nines are easygoing. They are accepting, trusting, and stable. Yes. And usually creative, optimistic, supportive, and they can be, t- <laughs> they can be too willing. To go along with others to keep the peace. Oh, yeah. I just read that and I was like, Katie. Oh, yeah. Nines push down our own desires in order to please the crowd and please the people in our life. Because we even even our own desires, if we express our own desires, it could come up into conflict against other people's desires. And that, Mm. that would make waves that nines are uncomfortable with. I mean, even nines will choose the path of least resistance almost always extremely conflict avoidant i you know but i will still do anything to avoid conflict yeah yeah but still harboring some of that anger or like yes so a lot of nine sort of describe or this is how i describe it too we're not aware of our anger but it's always sort of bubbling underneath the surface so it's mm-hmm. like we're living right next to a volcano <laughs> And there's lava flowing underneath us that could erupt at any time. And sometimes it does. And usually what happens is because nines aren't very self-aware, that lava will erupt and we'll be like, whoa, I don't know where that came from because I was so unaware that I was harboring that, that anger about this. So we do have anger, but we push it down. We, we push down both the anger that's internal like we push down emotions that are internal because that would be dealing with conflict within ourselves and we push away conflict on the outside as well. We build walls on the inside and the outside. So nines tend to be the least self-aware number on the Enneagram. Wow. And so I'm reading too, they have, they sometimes have issues with stubbornness. Yes. One of my favorite (laughs) quotes about being an Enneagram, I ran across this on a blog at one point and it was like, so when confronted with something that any that nines don't want to do or don't agree with or, or like if it comes up against you, nines will turn into a smiling, immovable object, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which is perfect. Like I will That's smile. Awesome. I will smile and nod at you and then I will just go and do my own thing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. <laughs> because I don't want to make waves with you. So I'm yeah. not going to bring it up. I'm not going to confront the issue. Yeah. But I'm not going to move on my own stand, Gosh, like whatever so I think. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Nines are stubborn. So um, at their best, they're all embracing, able to bring people together, heal conflicts. And let's see, at their work. Well, we kind of already talked about the worst, but basic yeah. fear is of loss and separation. Huh. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure. How, I do, really how do you. I'm not sure I've really worked one. through that very much, hmm. so I couldn't tell you. I can tell you that, so I know we've, we haven't only mentioned this with a couple of the numbers, but nine's sort of besetting sin or struggle is with sloth. What's the uh, the physics term, an object in motion stays in motion, an object at rest stays um, at rest? Inertia. Inertia, yeah. 
nines struggle with inertia a lot. Like if I, if I'm not doing anything, it's really hard for me to motivate myself to get up and start moving. But once I start moving, I Mm. keep going. But I'm also, the other thing about nines is that we're very easily distracted. So we'll be moving, but not necessarily moving on the things that need to be getting done. Like we will do pretty much everything but. Like um, the escapist. I mean, we've talked about this with with you as a reader and your reading habits kind of. So what, did you have a nine character? I did come up with a nine character and now I forgot it. (laughs) <laughs> well i was thinking oh, yes, harry I did. potter harry potter i think also matthew cuthbert from Anne of green gables is a nine for okay. sure yeah harry potter and remus lupin also from harry potter is a yes. nine yeah yeah i did those are the ones that i cool. came up with today why do you think harry's a nine because i didn't think of that yeah i don't know i feel like he keeps the peace with some characters like hermione and ron and but and he also I would say he's he can be conflict avoidant, but but that he when he does yeah. and not he does particularly act out of fear yeah, yeah. or not fear, anger, you know, yeah. that's when he kind of gets going. But also, what was the other thing you said about sloth? I feel like he was never he wasn't like Hermione in the in the sense of being really ambitious, ambitious about things or no, like he could you be know? he could be pretty lazy he was very naturally gifted but a little bit lazy right yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I could see him being a nine I don't yeah know. yeah I guess I could too yeah he was a real he was a very good mediator nines tend to be good mediators because we can see all sides of everything I love it okay so that is the overview of the nine numbers of the Enneagram like I said earlier we will probably go into these numbers in more detail in later episodes um, but we did just want to kind of set the tone because we're constantly mentioning the Enneagram so I guess it's good that we finally got around to talking about it and um, we we do want to share some resources in case you're interested in learning more about the Enneagram which because we will... we're not experts yes so. we are not experts and most of the things we said today are things that you know I found on the Enneagram Institute or the road back things to that you we've that remembered I, yeah. from podcasts and books yeah so definitely check it out for yourself and we'll include that in the show notes but I have um, a book right here called personality types using the Enneagram for self-discovery and I think this might be the Enneagram book that that um, I don't know I haven't read it cover to cover I think the I've, Enneagram book was by Richard Vore do you have that one that was like the oh no book. I thought it so it's Don Richard Riso with Russ okay. Hudson so I saw Richard and thought the same thing but so maybe that isn't the book but um I've kind of just poked around in this book so I I can't say for sure if it's yeah. the best resource but um it's one of the ones I have the other book I have is the Enneagram Made Easy Discover the Nine Types of People by Rene Barron and Elizabeth Wag waggle um and this one I really like because it just it puts it everything so simply and it also talks about um your number in any given career it talks about how you can be one number as a child and then grow into another number Mm, yeah which you've Um, mentioned before yeah because I I really think that I was a nine as a kid and Katie and I talk about that a lot but that's a fun one, and there's illustrations in there. It feels almost like a cartoon, kind of like you're reading a comic book or graphic novel or something, and 
there's like little checklists in there. And so it feels less intimidating to start with this one if you really wanted to get into it. What resources do you have, Katie? So I am not sure that I've read an Enneagram book cover to cover for all the knowledge that oh, I've yeah, built. Like I've picked around in a lot of Enneagram books. The kind of Enneagram Bible, like the first Enneagram book is by a Catholic priest named Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr is the one that kind of disseminated the Enneagram for the common people. And his book is called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. And he, for a long time, the Enneagram wasn't known to lay people. It was something that was only used in the, in the, it was only used by clergy. It was only used by clergy. I have found The Road Back to You by Ian Crone and Susan Stabile to be an amazing sort of introductory resource Susan Suzanne Stabile also just came out with a book called The Path Between Us, and that's about the Enneagram and relationships. I'm so eager to get my hands on that one. Oh, yeah, that'll I be good. I also have an Enneagram book called Mirror for the Soul by Alice Freiling. So a lot of the Enneagram resources that are out there right now are from a Christian perspective. So some of them feel much more Christian than others, just something to be aware of if that's not your thing you can certainly get a lot out of it even if you're not a christian but many of the books you know are probably going to mention god then i mentioned earlier the sacred enneagram by by christopher hewerts but i also have found podcasts to be incredibly helpful resources so there is probably more helpful than the probably more yeah i would when ian crone and suzanne stabile um published their book the road back to you they did sort of a limited run podcast called the road back to you and then ian crone has now done an offshoot called typology that's really really helpful um and then i think suzanne stabile now also has her own podcast that's sort of based on the enneagram the other podcast that i have to point people to because i find it so amazing is um sleeping at last which is He's a musician, and he is doing a project that's part of a much bigger project, which you can go and do some research on your own. I'm not going (laughs) to go into detail here. But part of his project is he wants, he is writing a song for every number on the Enneagram. And it's amazing. It's amazing. The songs are incredible. And the amount of detail that he has gone into to create these songs it's so intentional and thoughtful. I mean, every sound that you hear was thought about in how it relates to the number that he is is representing musically. It's so beautiful. I cry at every number. <laughs> and he hits on the heart of what's beautiful, I think, about every number, too. And so he has a podcast where he talks about every number. He actually has Christopher Hewitt, who wrote the Sacred Enneagram, on his podcast and they dissect the number, they dissect the song, and it's wonderful. And you can hear the whole song in the episode as well. So he's only done numbers one through four, but I would highly suggest listening to his podcast as well. It's been a, such a good resource for me to learn about other numbers other than my own. Beautiful. Love it. Thanks for listening to us chat on and on and on about the Enneagram. We could literally do this all night. I'm pretty sure. We could, I mean, we could just talk about the Enneagram forever, and we're not even experts. I feel like Um, we just scratched the surface and we talked for so long. I know. If you made it this far, kudos. Kudos, Kudos, friends. (laughs) We wish that we could give you a special Enneagram high five. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so thanks for, for listening to us chat about reading and life everything in between we hope that you will stick around and subscribe and maybe share our podcast with a friend we would love that and also 
please consider sharing a review on iTunes. It really helps our visibility and would make us so happy. You can stalk us over on our website, nothanksworebooked.com. You can also stalk us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We're probably most active on Instagram, but find (laughs) us everywhere. Yeah, and and for Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, it's no thanks we're booked, and thanks is spelled T-H-X. If you think our episodes are worth a dollar or two, don't forget to check out our super cool Patreon page. We are creating a fun little community over there, and we're really excited about it. Um, if you pay $2 or more, you can become a wallflower. That's which what we've will, named them. Which will make more sense if you hop on over to our Patreon page um, and you can join in on our bi-monthly book club. Which, speaking of... The first book we're going to be reading together starting July 1st is going to be The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. And we're doing a giveaway this month for that whoop whoop. very book. So you could win it in time for the No Thanks We're Booked book club. And all you have to do to be entered is to write a review of our podcast on iTunes. We're also asking listeners to send us emails at nothanksforbooked.com. No, no, sorry. Nothanksforbooked at gmail.com. <laughs> you can send us stories about literally anything. We would love to hear all of your bookish stories and otherwise, but we're doing a future episode on small world moments, which we mentioned in the last episode. And so we'd love to include some of your stories about small world moments. If you have any crazy moments like that that you'd like to share that you think we need to know about, please send them our way. These can be bookish, but they don't have to be. Not all small world moments are bookish. In fact, I'm not sure many are, but if they are, let us know. If they aren't, also let us know. (laughs) Okay, everyone, that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for making it this far. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay booked. booked.